0: Welcome everyone to all about Windows Phone Insight podcast number 78. I'm Steve Litchfield and it's just Rafe and me because Ewan's away, holidaying in Blackpool. It's probably raining. Yeah, he deserves it. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm sure he'll have a lovely time. In the meantime, we're here to hold the fort, and uh, with quite a bit to get through, Rafe, really. There's um GDR3, or as it has now become, Update 3 um, for Windows Phone. We've got uh, various camera comparisons, they always go down well and a look ahead maybe to Nokia World coming up in the in the week ahead. But let's uh, start with uh, GDR3. I guess uh, we should just run through the, the, the major improvements um, one by one, Ray. I mean, you wrote the story on this. I guess, I guess I'd guess probably like, like to start with the higher-resolution screen support. Now, I'm on a 4.5-inch screen. I think 768p is quite sufficient. But I guess we're looking ahead to sort of five and a half, six 6-inch screens here, aren't we? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, this is an interesting
1: update uh, I mean, this is the third one this year, effectively, after GDR1 and GDR2. So Windows Phone is doing quite well for updates, but all these updates are, are relatively small. You know, it's not a big platform update like you might have seen from, say, iOS 6 to 7 uh, recently. But yes, the, the hardware one kind of really caught my attention this time because this is not so much for you know, existing device obviously, but it's enabling new stuff. And I think the standout one there is is the higher resolution screens. Although there's another one I'll come to in a moment. And you're absolutely right. I mean I agree. On a a four four and a half inch screen, I'm not sure I see a lot of difference. If you if you look at it under, you know, not quite a magnifying glass, but you can see a subtle difference. But for most users I don't think it makes a difference. But We've had the 625, and that's really noticeable as a 480 by 800 screen. It's a budget device, so that's fine. But if you look at some of the other fabric devices that are on the market, you can see that difference between 1020p and uh, 1080p. And yes, that's one of the things that you get with this, you know, gDr three or update three update is support for these high resolution screens it's all being handled quite well actually in terms of the app and developer side there's going to be some changes to the way uh, apps look but the big one is going to be the start screen which is going to get a third column of live tiles or the fifth and sixth column if you're using a small live tile size if you actually sort of do the comparisons it's going to mean that the the live tiles are about the same size that they are on maybe a I don't know, three point seven inch to four inch size. If you're using the smaller size, and so it, it makes sense because it's making better use of the big uh, live size. I mean, you've used uh, a six twenty in some of the smaller devices. If you use the small size on those, they're quite small. Uh, but if you use them on the, you know, the four and a half inch or something like the uh, six twenty five. Those even the small tile sizes can feel quite big. So it's basically giving you a chance to put more onto your start screen and Microsoft talk about you know, being able to personalize your phone further, stick up all your or pin all your apps, your you know, favorite websites, maybe documents and other things as well. And it is kind of the unique standout feature of Windows Phone. It, it, it's what sets it apart, I think most obviously in a visual sense from its major competitors. And so this seems like a very sensible update to me. And um, I for one will certainly look forward to seeing a device and I don't think there's one too far away. I think it's safe to say that takes advantage of this higher screen support. I mean, we should say that this third column of live tiles and the optimizations to some of the other hubs, which is coming in only applies uh, to the, the five plus inch devices, yeah. which, uh, not to the existing ones. Uh, for developers, it's just a matter of the, the system will almost certainly automatically scale it. You might want to check, uh, but actually in terms of apps, they're actually going to sort of be classed as the same as 720p apps, just with a different scale factor. And so there's going to be no real problems with having an extra resolution size to support.
0: Yeah, are we going to get three, uh, sorry, maybe you've just mentioned this, Do we get three wide tiles, something that spans the width? of a 1080p screen uh, as far as i know
1: we're not going to get that so we're we're going to stick with just having the double y which will occupy in this case two-thirds of the screen and then of course Ooh. you have the the standard size. So, yes i mean it'll be interesting to actually try it out because uh, sort of talking about it authoritatively and honestly i haven't seen it. i've kind of tested it out by putting a screenshot on a an existing device but it doesn't really give you a proper feel for it and like you i i sort of wonder whether it wouldn't have been better to have an extra big live tile size and i think for something like email that could have been quite interesting at the day you cram in there Uh, but i guess it's about sticking to the the style guidelines rather than i I don't know we'll have to wait and see because i I think there's potential and and clearly that's something microsoft consider in a future release but it's noticeable that these live tiles are kind of now common between windows 8 and uh, windows phone and Windows 8 doesn't have anything more than those double wide light L sizes. So I think it's unlikely, for the time being at least, that we'll see any change from that.
0: Yeah, yeah. the other major thing that caught my eye, of course, was um, the support for Snapdragon 800 processors and presumably uh, upgrades from there. Now, I have to say that the Rafe, the speed of Windows Phone on the current devices is absolutely fine in terms of um, the way applications swish in and out and things happen. I have no complaints whatsoever, but I'm, I'm guessing here... I mean, the the transitions really are the bottleneck in a sense, but the transitions are also necessary for new users to work out what's going where and which apps are going in which direction. But I'm guessing the the support for the higher spec processors is more about these higher resolution screens and having to provide more to provide the same performance and same transitions that we're seeing now. Yes, uh, I think that's probably fair. I
1: mean, the thing that surprised me about this, frankly, that it was Snapdragon 800 support. It's Qualcomm's top of the line processor now and we're only just seeing... Uh, devices running android coming in with the snapdragon 800 because effectively commercial availability of this chipset in any numbers is meant to be the fourth quarter i.e now Um, and you're quite right it's a qualcomm 8974 to be precise it's a quad core processor uh, but the important bit it it, it's well it's probably running at 2.3 gigahertz it's a crate 400 processor technically but it also comes with the adreno 330 a graphics co processor and that's actually the bit that will improve the windows phone graphics and will help with uh, driving the screen it's probably also likely to be two gigabytes of ram and so in that sense it was going to bring windows phone right up to date comparison with you know the, the top end android devices i don't think windows phone would actually ne- necessarily need all that power but it probably does offer a certain amount of future proofing if you will that it's uh, you know getting it ready for the next set of devices and yes it's certainly going to help with those high resolution screens you know obviously pushing more pixels around the screen particularly in something like transitions you know does take a bit of extra work but i wonder whether it's also you know making sure these devices can then receive updates and stay current for a, a little while after that you know it, it should you know make it obvious um if it's not already that not all the new devices are going to run on this new high end chipset. this will be for the high end devices and perhaps even just the ones with the high resolution screens um, probably by their definition will be the high end ones um but the kind of the mid tier devices will probably stay on the yeah. you know older snapdragon s four the snapdragon four hundred processors and that things like the six two five already on the snapdragon four hundred as I, say, I was a bit surprised i thought maybe um they'd go for the snapdragon uh, 600 because that would be perfectly sufficient for pang windows phone i wouldn't have thought uh, but you're right this is going to mean there's absolutely no performance problems whatsoever i mean windows phone in terms of its architecture because it's not running on top of a virtual machining you know the same way that, dev, like an android is it, it's going to be more efficient and so it should be pretty good for windows phone performance not just you know now but for the next 12 months and the snapdragon 800 from some of the early benchmarks we've seen on other devices and in kind of test boards pretty good for battery life you know very good kind of performance versus battery life trade-off which has sparked some interesting discussions about whether you know you should go big little that's the idea of having you know, a big processor that you switch off and use a little processor for sort of kind of background tasks. windows phone obviously not going down that route Um, So I think it's going to be really interesting to see the first device with this. And obviously, this will mean a new hardware family for Windows Phone. Uh, Nokia looks like it's going to be first out the gate with this, uh, potentially with a a device announcement next week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Now, one thing that's quite common, Rafe, I'm driving along with my Windows Phone in my my car dock very safely. And uh, you or you and Mike chip in with something over Skype IM and it pops up in a toast message at the top of the screen. That distracts me. I think, oh, I must reply to that. Or a tweet comes in or a DM or there's Wi-Fi available. All these things popping up my Windows phone screen while I'm driving. And I gather Microsoft finally has a solution for this coming in update three. That's right. This is the new driving mode which isn't what everyone kind of initially thought it would be, a
1: a kind of a driving-specific UI so you can handle things like music and everything else. Uh, You still have to use Nokia's car mode for that. If you're not a Nokia user, there are a number of third-party applications. Now, this is about solving the Steve problem of having distractions when you're driving (laughs) from A to B. Uh, I'm not actually sure it applies to all the uh, toast notifications, but it certainly does apply to incoming calls and text messages and the idea is that you know when you're in a call quite understandably you may not be in a position to answer that um or or may not want to you know and there are certain safety regulations around this and i think it's going to become a much hotter topic in the next few years when people increasingly realize that even using hands-free doesn't necessarily guarantee safe driving so this is just a very simple setup procedure you define a bluetooth device that triggers this driving mode so obviously it's going to be something like your car kit and when it's on you can set whether you want um, calls and texts to interrupt you. The nice extra, you can also have a text message automatically reply saying something like, you know, I'm driving in the car. I'll get back to you as soon as possible. So really it's about reducing uh, distractions. It works you know, pretty much as you'd expect, you know, connected to this Bluetooth thing. It will pop up a message saying, do you want to go into driving mode? You just tap yes. And after that, it will uh, no longer take the incoming call, but they'll go, you know, to, to voicemail and the text messages won't interrupt you. Um, it seems like a sensible addition to me. And, you know, if you get out of the car and you're away from that Bluetooth device, it'll switch automatically out of car mode. So it's very much in line with the rest of Windows Phone's kind of design philosophy, making things uh, as simple as possible and trying to be as user-friendly as possible. So I think it's a, a nice addition. It's, I guess, probably the big new software feature in this
0: update three. Yeah. And just to answer the question that you weren't sure of just now and, and uh, <laughs> answering my, my problem, in one of your own screenshots, it says, and I quote, driving mode turns off all notifications except text and phone calls when you're driving. And you can also turn those off as well. So it, implied in that is that things like Wi-Fi and Skype and Twi- Twitter notification that they all get blocked while you're driving, which is good. Uh, excellent.
1: Thank you, Stephen. As you say, the calls and texts are the bit that you can kind of specify when you want to get them. So, you know, distraction-free driving, personally, I, I think that's a great thing to have. I don't know if you're, um, you're going to use this, Steve, or do you like being distracted when you're driving?
0: Well, it livens up my trips up and down the motorway, you know, replying to, <laughs> replying to IM conversations, downloading apps. It just livens those hours on the motorway. When
1: you're in the passenger
0: seat. <laughs> um, no, um, another thing in update three This is probably not a, something that you or I will necessarily use But it's a big, big uh, missing element of the platform at the moment And that's accessibility We've got a number of blind or near-blind users On, our, on the older Symbian platform We, we covered an, several um, applications, updates on, on the Symbian platform Basically screen uh, sc- scrapers and screen readers That let them interact with their touchscreen smartphone Even though they can hardly see or indeed can't see at all. And this is now coming with exactly the same company, I believe, but now sort of building it into the platform on Windows Phone. That's right. This is, uh, Microsoft kind of talked about it as a platform update,
1: but in all honesty, it's a third-party app that's doing most of the work here. There is a setting to allow a bit of integration so it can deal with incoming phone calls and other notifications. But really, this is uh, mobile accessibility, an app that can be downloaded from the Windows Phone Store, and presents a, a simplified ui with kind of live tile like design that when you tap on it will actually speak out the name so if you tap on say the phone tile it will say phone and then you'll go into a menu the idea being that you can use it without actually you know if you've got uh limited visibility uh, you know partially blind as you say uh Honestly, I think it's a bit of a kludge to get accessibility features onto the platform. Uh, it's not done as smoothly as it is in really either Android or iPhone. It, to be fair, it depends which Android implementation we're talking about, Um which is a bit of a shame because nokia does have a pretty good history here with talks and all the other screen readers uh, so this feels like a, a bit of a limitation it's probably to be expected in what's effectively just a minor update or a service pack depending on the way you look at it with update 3 but I suppose the benefit is that it is here and you know some of the Windows phone devices are uh, you know priced pretty cheaply so you know, although I think many of the people I spoke to have said you know that Apple have done probably the best implementation of accessibility on a on a smartphone uh outside of some of the simulion device, and we won't get into that debate now. Um you know, it, it it's a good start, but I think they're gonna need to do more and it really should be built into the platform itself rather than relying on a, a third party app. But uh, all credit to code factories behind this app they have actually done a very good job in creating something that will make a, you know a Windows phone device usable for uh, someone who's partially sighted or you know with some degree of um, blindness as well uh can't really comment on it ourselves if anyone is using this and can tell us how good the implementation is we'd love to hear the feedback and we'll report back in the next podcast
0: yeah we do have a few um blind contacts at least i, I do and i'm sure if, if we sent them a 520 or something loaded with this then, then they could give it a whirl and perhaps report back for us um, other updates in update three, just very briefly, there are a few miscellaneous um, improvements settings, some of which are worth talking about, but I'm only going to give you two minutes. So in true Ewan style, I'm putting a stopwatch on this. So okay. <laughs>
1: uh, I'll do this as quickly as possible. Custom ringtones, this is the idea you can actually set your own sound for things apart from uh, incoming calls. So, you know, text message, emails, everything else. It's kind of been due for a long time. Similarly, you can also have a, a custom. Uh, text tone on a contact by contact basis there's an update to storage settings it's really doing what the uh, nokia storage check settings module did letting you delete temporary internet files but given that the other uh, space bug has been uh, busted and that was in the last update it's less necessary now but yeah, it's handy to be able to see how your space is being used on your phone i suppose the big one of these small updates for a lot of people will be the automatic screen rotation this makes it possible to lock the screen in a specific rotation to either portrait or landscape mode helpful if you're maybe browsing or something like that i think it's of particular relevance to the bigger devices myself um, there's also an update to the app switcher that's the thing that you you, you see when you hold and press the back key you can switch between apps by just swiping across the screen. That's now got a close X button in the top uh, right-hand corner. So it doesn't really have any real effect in terms of you know processor or power consumption because of the way Windows Phone is designed. But for those that like to control exactly which apps are there, I think it's a nice addition. It's also using a very similar visual style to Windows 8. So once again, tying the two platforms together, There's also some updates for the uh, Bluetooth quality connections with cars, uh, basically using a different way of connecting to the cars to make it work more reliably. You can also now use Wi-Fi when you first set up the device. That's great if you're setting up a device without a SIM card. You can actually download a Windows phone backup. That's something I'm personally really going to enjoy having access to. It's also great if your SIM card isn't recognized when you put it into the device and it doesn't get the settings right. That used to prevent you downloading a backup annoyed me so that's probably my favorite small update from a personal point of view there's also a small update to internet uh, sharing it only applies if you're working with a, a windows 8.1 device and basically if you connect them together via bluetooth it makes it easier to set up a, a internet hotspot with your phone kind of zero configuration stuff so again a nice extra but as I say, I would probably pick out screen rotation and that Wi-Fi when you first set up the device as being being the big ones, along with kind of uh, driving mode. Uh, uh, and I guess the most far reaching is definitely the hardware support. So that's Windows Phone Update 3, which is going to start rolling out in the next few weeks. I suspect the HTC and Samsung devices will be first. Uh, the Nokia devices will be a little while behind because Nokia is going to be a- applying their own updates, quite a few actually, and we'll be talking more about those, no doubt. Uh, in the next few weeks and uh, quite what the codename is going to be uh, bittersweet shimmers come out um, it'll be the equivalent of the lumia amber update and as a result of that i'd expect nokia to be a couple of weeks behind that so i don't know uh, i've said sort of november for the first uh, delivery of this gdr3 i suspect uh the nokia ones it may well get into december but we'll report back on that as soon as we can but i guess we should say that if you're a power user or a developer there is a way to get it earlier than that isn't there
0: steve do you know, I haven't delved into this specifically because I absolutely hate the idea of, uh, of flashing something on, completely wiping my device in the effort, and then finding I'm I, I'm not really gaining anything. If anything, I'm losing losing something and i'd rather than pick up the official update as and when it appears and report on it as it's available to the public not forcing people to go down some g- geeky rat hole. but i gather you have actually <laughs> gone down that rat hole. i have gone down that rat hole and i think
1: um seems being a little bit uh grumpy about just how hard it is to do <laughs> all of this but uh i'll just tell you what it does um, essentially, Microsoft has set up what they're calling the Windows Phone Preview for developers that lets you get early access to this uh, GDR3 update. Why have they done that? Well, it's so developers can test their uh, applications again, you know, make sure everything's working. There are actually very few developer changes. There's no API changes, but there are a few changes to platform behavior. I think the most notable one is the way the viewport in Internet Explorer changes. But details on the side on that. But it does mean that other people can also update. It doesn't just have to be a developer. Those who get access to this are those who are registered developers through Dev Center, but also through the uh, free Windows Phone Studio. If you recall, that's a way of making apps for Windows Phone just in your browser, and that's free to anybody. So there's actually no cost to doing this. Once you're registered for this, you can sign up for the uh, or download the preview for Developers app, and there's a, a link in the Windows Phone Store for that. You sign in, and your device suddenly is enabled for updates. That update will then be delivered using the standard over-the-air update method, so no funky updates or f- funny flashing that you have to do, Steve. It's just a normal process. All your data is preserved, and it has no impact on the firmware of the device. That's a kind of the custom bits from Nokia and other manufacturers. So I found it a very painless uh, process, to be quite honest, um, of course, there's no guarantee that it'll absolutely work. And there are some notes about potentially voiding your warranty, but I certainly uh-huh. had uh, no problems with this. And it was a very smooth process and really very little difference from an official update apart from having to opt in to receive the updates. So if you're thinking about doing this, uh, by all means go ahead, but you know, proceed at your own risk. But I have to say, I, I found it you know, mm-hmm. without offering any warranties myself or anything like that. I found it, uh, very easy and uh, a far cry from things that she was talking about there you know having to wipe your device or lose anything like that um and honestly i think it's great that microsoft is providing this it Uh, keeps the power users happy you know you can download and have the latest update as soon as possible Um, and it's great for developers being able to test things it is worth emphasizing this is just the microsoft portion of the update you won't get the manufacturer bits um, but when they do roll out they'll be added seamlessly and any updates that come out subsequently will be added seamlessly on top so there's no action required you'll get the updates the official ones at the same time as everyone else if there are indeed any differences to this kind of preview release so i suspect there will be one or two minor updates and then the nokia bits will go on to the device size which in my case is the lumia 925 which i then used to record a whole bunch of videos that you know give you a video demonstration of these new features we're talking about and you can see those all on the site
0: yeah well i stand corrected <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'm being too too cautious at this point have you given my gung-ho antics in the past
1: well i i don't think so i have to admit i i wasn't going to put it onto my main device, um, which I've switched my SIM into the Lumia 1020 uh, for now, especially you know, there's great camera opportunities with that. 925 is still very much a secondary device for me. and I wanted to try it on a device that I would actually use it on. Uh, but to be quite honest, as you probably gather from the features we've talked through, there's nothing really startling there that um, most people aren't going to be willing to wait, you know, two or three weeks for, you know, maybe six weeks at, at, at the at longest. Well, having said that, uh, AT&T users in the States are a bit irritated because they've only just got the AMBER update sort of six weeks after some people got it. Um, so I, I guess it depends how long you're willing to wait. It's only going to be uh, two or three weeks before um, you know, GDR3 starts rolling out. So the Nokia one's a bit longer after that and then there'll probably be a couple of months before everyone gets the update. Uh, and I think the, the bit that people will look forward to is some of the extra bits that Nokia will be delivering. There's all sorts of things coming in on the lock screen and other new app features as well. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, We'll talk about it as soon as we know
0: more. Now, this being a en podcast, I can go all (laughs) camera-centric. So uh, I have to plug the fact on the site I've been comparing the Lumia 1020 to various other smartphones again, um, including the Sony Xperia Z1 and the LG G2, both of which claim something of a camera speciality both of which have been uh, you know, famed in the Android world for being yeah, the best camera phone you could buy, completely ignoring the uh, Windows phone running 1020. It's fair to say that they both put up a good fight against the 1020, but that the 1020 did triumph in the end, mainly because of low light performance and um, not least the OIS, the really good OIS that Nokia implemented, and also the Zen Flash, of course, for photographing people and pets in who are moving in low light. But in, in daylight, Rafe, right, I don't know whether you've got the stories open. In daylight, I found the um, the, the high-spec 20 or so megapixel sensor of the Z1 with its kind of pure view-like zooming and the LG's 13 megapixel sensor with a pretty good uh, image processing. They both gave the 1020 a run for money in sunlight, certainly. And uh, for most people's snaps out and about, I think they probably could be comparable, but that it all kind of falls apart when the, the light levels go down. Yeah, it's
1: this old chestnut of... When you're comparing camera phones, if you put everything in good conditions, it's pretty difficult to pick out a difference. And we found this looking at you know, the even the 1020 with some of the other uh, Nokia Windows phone devices. I remember the same thing in the Symbian world with the And It's always the edge cases uh, where you can make the difference. And so the way to, I think, summarize it in a way that is important for a consumer is that you'll get better photos more of the time with the Lumia 1020 than either of these android flagships but i know there were things that you liked about both the android devices so you know is there anything to be learned from looking at these android devices and it's not necessarily against the 1020 but perhaps could be applied to some of the other windows phone devices steve
0: and um, well the idea of computational photography of being able to do zooming in i mean you put nokia pro cam on something like a 925 or a 920 it does work and you can kind of zoom in and the, dig- the digital zooming isn't that bad um, but it obviously needs a higher resolution sensor to start off with. I mean, I, the 920, 925 are decent uh, cameras for a camera phone, and they're probably 2012 era. I think is a fair way of putting it. The 2013 Android competition—they do—they're looking for something extra. They've seen what Nokia have done with the a and with the 1020, and they're looking to have a piece of that action. But they're still not fully investing in in the technology, and they having the, the Xperia Z1 has a one over two point three inch sensor, which is to put it into perspective, the same size sensor as the Nokia N86 on running Symbian from 2009, but let's not go there. <laughs> but it is at least bigger than the standard smartphone sensors and things like the iPhones and the, the, the Samsung Galaxy. So Sony, we at least trying to put a sensor of larger area and higher resolution and trying with the computational photography. But where Sony fell down is that they completely forgotten a proper flash. So again, you go indoors and everything's a blurry mess again. Um, LG I've done that with th- their 13 megapixel sensor is right up with the Galaxy S4s and produces, you know, really very good shots if you just take them as is. But again, there's, there's, the digital zoom isn't handled properly in the same way that the Sony and Nokia manages. So you on the LG, you end up with, you, you zoom in and you do get blockiness and you get, you get blotchiness and you do get degraded results. And again, the LG, in fact, is actually particularly bad in low light the moment anything like a cat or a toddler or a person starts to move it just becomes a blurry mess and in some cases the focusing time on that thing in low light can be as much as 2 seconds which is ridiculous by, the, by which time the the pet the cat will have scarpered off and you'll be replaced by a duck or something in your case um, so all of these phones are are they know where they want to get to and the, the manufacturers aren't really fully investing in them Nokia with the 808 and the 1020 said right we know exactly what we where we want to get to we're going to All bets are off. We're going to say we're going to gamble in it. We're going to put full investment in the hardware, full investment in the software. We're going to put in top spec components, a proper flash. We implemented both those devices. And you could argue that both the 1020 and the 808 are somewhat specialist. But the way the 1020 is being marketed at the moment across mainstream newspapers and websites, I'd argue that Nokia are kind of hoping it will make it into the mainstream. Um, despite it being such a high-spec gamble. Is that fair? I I think that's right. I mean, partly I think all that marketing is about creating a
1: halo product. I'm pretty sure it has a good impact on Windows Phone and Lumia generally, but it is noticeable that the 1020s... uh, Here in the UK, for example, we're seeing an enormous amount of marketing on the TV before programs such as Homeland, but also in the newspapers and the billboards. And I think Nokia has done a fantastic job of creating a recognisable device. They're using the yellow 1020 much of the time. I'm not sure it's a device that everyone will go out and buy because yellow is quite a strong colour, but it's instantly recognisable, and I suspect the 1020 is now a well-recognised smartphone in consumer mindsets. And we said before, you know, building that awareness, um, which then leads to consideration in the marketing funnel, is a really important thing for Windows Phone. And um, you know, we've said before that the, the camera hump on the back isn't that big. And if, you know, camera is important to you, you'll probably be willing to you know, accept that. If camera isn't important to you, you, you're not going to be looking at the 1020. And I'd probably still say that the 925 is an overall smartphone is is, is better uh, because of the, the smaller size. But the 1020 does provide a, a pretty compelling argument. It's interesting to hear you talk about that sort of computational photography, which obviously Nokia's... pioneered and I agree I think that's where we're going to see a lot of action in the next few years but also it does feel like these manufacturers saw the Nokia approach with the 808 and then started thinking well how can we come up with that you know and we're now seeing the results of that and this idea that the 808 was you know several generations ahead I think is only kind of reconfirmed by this, and the same applies to some of the efforts to get OIS into the phone. I mean, this is something that's maybe worth talking about, Steve. You know, a couple of these devices do have OIS, and we've seen some others with it, but all those implementations are not created equally. It's not an on-off switch, is it? I mean, you you have a
0: kind of a different competency of OIS on these devices. Yes, there are various different methods of implementing it, whether it's to do with which sensors you take in, how fast the refresh rate is on those sensors driving little actuators, um, in, in Nokia's case, they use what's called a barrel shift OIS, where the entire, the entire optical assembly, that's all six lenses, um, including the moving bits, they all, that whole thing gets wrapped uh, around, as it were, in real time to compensate for movements on the camera. On the devices like the HTC One, which I know you have, and the G2, which I've got here, which I haven't actually delved, taken into bits yet, <laughs> I haven't actually delved with the innards, but I suspect it might be the same as the HTC, with just the outer lens, just the, uh, the, the very outer lens element. Um, being flicked backwards and forwards, so just one element rather than the entire optical stack. Certainly when I did the OIS tests between the 1020 and HTC One, the 1020 1020 was miles uh, in advance in terms of uh, how much it could compensate for motion. Uh, In all three axes, um, the HTC One could only compensate for for rotational movement in two axes, which rather limited it. And I'm going to do some tests later on today as we record this Friday, what is it, Friday the uh, 18th of October, I'm heading out to do the video comparison between the 1020 and the G2, so do watch this space. Uh, I did want to mention, Ralph, briefly, um, that that we had a story on the site, I think I dug it out from a Far East um, announcement, that the technology existed to do flat capacitors this all sounds rather geeky, but basically the reason most manufacturers haven't put proper flashes into their camera phones is because Zinn and Flash needs a big bulky um, cylindrical capacitor normally and you need a fairly big camera hump or at least a thick device in order to fit it in. Uh, now, we had this story about flat capacitors you know, l- leading the possibility of Xenon Flashes in just about every camera phone. I thought, yes, this is it. This is the future. This is going to happen <laughs> in a year or two's time. And then we had the Lumi 1020 announced about a month later and so we and the Lumia 1020 includes a flat capacitor for the Zen and flash. So I think other manufacturers are being rather caught on the hop by this, and I would expect devices, like the, the LG's offerings and Sony's offerings, in about nine months to twelve months' time, will start magically appear with Zeal and flash. After all, and I think, wow, we could have done it. We could, we, the technology technology does now exist. We can put flat capacitors in our smartphones too, and we can match Nokia for the very first time in, in very low light indoors. So I think. That's my prediction for the future. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see that happen. I mean, I think even then we're talking about
1: it's this edge case and again and you know, using Xenon Flash versus not using Xenon Flash. But I do wonder whether this is a component, story, a bit like the uh, high amplitude uh, microphones that Nokia uses that they effectively got an exclusive on by partnering with on the development of them. Uh, whether that applies to this in particular, I, I don't know. Uh, but I think you're right. You know, all, always with these things, we tend to see a bit of innovation happen somewhere. And then the other manufacturers will kind of not necessarily scramble to catch up, but if it's something that's successful, will then sort of catch up and try and do it. We're seeing a, a kind of a good example of this HTC just announced their one Max device with a fingerprint sensor, which to be fair has actually been in development for a while, but I'm sure there's going to be people out there going, Oh, that's kinda of to match the the iPhone. Uh, 5s but one thing about uh, these devices we've been talking about that did catch my eye steve was kind of a button on the back of the device which is the <laughs> g 2 just
0: wanted to get your take on whether you thought that worked or not as a bit of hardware innovation it works in the sense that you get used to it and you start using it and there are no real showstoppers from having the buttons there but you have to ask the question why bother in the first place because they're the only phone that does it that way and people everyone absolutely every person when who buys one will have to get used to it because it's different to their preceding phone. Um, And the second point is the fact that they put it so close to the camera glass that it's absolutely impossible to use that button system and not three or four times a day your index finger slip onto the camera glass and leave a nice big, fat, juicy fingerprint, which then means your next photograph gets all blurred and and messed up. So I'm not convinced. I think they could have done a better positioning, either moving the camera glass or moving the button slightly further down the device. And I, 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 still I think it's just a gimmick in the sense that it doesn't really add anything to the overall experience. It doesn't add anything to somebody's smartphone life. The G2 is quite a thick phone, relatively speaking, compared to things like the P6 and the iPhone. And if the G2 is that thick, then why not put the buttons on the side where people are expecting them? I just think it's a, a, a difference for difference sake.
1: Yeah, that was my immediate reaction when seeing it. So it's interesting to hear you say that having tried out the device, I think any bit of hardware innovation, there actually needs to be a reason for it. And generally, that's making the experience better in some ways. You know, just as just chucking in a 41 megapixel camera wouldn't make a lot of sense on its own. But then when you use the computational photography with it, the oversampling that Nokia does with the. 1020 uh, and before it, the 808 that's the reason you, you have a 41 megapixel camera and people still say uh, still people see, see people saying there's no point having a 41 megapixel camera they're right it depends how you use it and i think that applies to all bits of hardware innovation before we move off uh, camera stuff uh steve while i've still got the expert in the room just wanted to ask you about another piece that you did recently which was uh, essentially looking at Nokia ProCam, SmartCam, and Windows phone camera and saying, choices, choices, and you could add in all sorts of third-party apps to that as well. Um, and you were essentially saying that depending on the situation, you should use one uh, app or the other. Can you maybe give us a, a, a duffer's guide to which app that we should be <laughs> using at which time? I mean, there, there's full stories on the site. As in all these comparisons, I'd really encourage you to go and read them because Steve, as is his want, goes into an enormous amount of detail and displays a, a good amount of camera expertise but um i know that some people just need a simple guide so take it away steve
0: <laughs> well yes every nokia phone lumia phone comes with these three apps or if they don't actually come built into the firmware they're offered immediately in the nokia collection so essentially you've got nokia program and nokia smart cams the two additional camera apps and you've got the windows phone default camera application now all three of these take their information from the camera hardware, from the camera sensor. And let's take the Lumia 1020 as a good example. So you think, well, well, surely if it's taking the same information, the same sensor, the image is going to be more or less the same. So so what's the difference? Well, the difference is in how the information is um, obtained and in what time frame. Um, the pro camera, people have complained about its shot-to-shot time and about the fact that it takes um, three or four seconds to, to after you capture the shot to then... P- grab all the data, process it all, produce the full res and the, the shareable JPEGs and all the stuff that's behind the scenes before you're ready for the next shot. So if you're taking a, a shots of a fast-moving situation, it's your kid's sports day, for example, or, um, or, or your cat is in for an award right, and it's got a room around its neck and there are other cats right around it and you want to take snap, 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 then ProCam is going to be a bit of a pain because you just can't um, get back to the next capture session quickly enough. Um, so my contention was, well, Yes, there's Nokia Smart Cam, which is a very sort of a quick and dirty, low-grade scrape of the sensor. and produces very noisy, um, almost low-resolution shots. They're still 5 megapixel, but they look like they're taken at low-resolution and upscaled. So Smart Cam, particularly for burst mode stuff, seems like a good idea, but the, the picture quality does suffer. But my main contention was that why not use the default Windows Phone camera application, which has a one-second shot-to-shot time on, on the Lumia 1020. So you could go snap, snap. Snap the next one, and that literally that fast, um, which has its benefits. And my question really was, how much quality, if any, do you lose? Um, and my, if you see the story on the site, and I'm sure Rafe's got it up on his browser at the moment. I'm looking at the photograph of me taken at the train station in front of the green tree, Rafe. Um looking at the the close-in crops, and you can, s- although the 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 shot taken by the Windows Phone default camera is pretty good, pretty good. And for most cases, that will be a good enough snap. I mean, most people don't pixel peep like me. Um, you can see a big, big difference in quality if you look down at the pixel level. If you look at the, the, the detail and the texture of my skin or of the tree behind me, every last subtlety in the leaves of the, of the branches and the, and, and the ferns, it's really quite impressive. So, what it seems to be happening is that the, the Windows Phone default camera application basically takes a standard five megapixel scrape from that sensor. It doesn't use any of the full resolution stuff, it doesn't do any oversampling, it simply says, right. To the hardware, I want a five megapixels a shot, and presumably, something like every fifth, every sixth pixel from that sensor gets used and fired off back to the application, and you get a perfectly decent shot. It's just not quite as good as you get with Nokia Pro Cam. So the takeaway, to cut a long story short, I've been rambling, is that if you're in a situation where something's happening incredibly fast, like an action shot, somebody's jumping over a, a bridge, or a cat's jumping through a hoop, or or a toddler's blowing out a candle at a birthday party, then go for Nokia Smart Cam. Um, if there's enough light, you'll get a dec- an okay shot. You'll at least capture the moment, and it will be whatever it is, um, one one frame every uh, tenth of a second or so. If you're taking something where you want to take shots every second or so, something's happening quickly, but not. we're not talking sports. We're just talking things happening quickly and people moving around and smiling and laughing, and it, you're in decent enough light. Use the Windows Phone built-in default camera application. You get much faster shot shot time. But, of course, you don't get the oversampling. You don't get the ability to reframe and crop in later. If you can possibly spare three or four seconds per shot, then go for Nokia Pro Camera after call because you have got that flexibility to zoom in later, to reframe. You get highest quality. Um, and basically, it's, it's, it's your choice. I personally, at the moment, have Nokia Pro Camera as my default camera application. I went through a phase of having smart, smart Cam. When I was around some uh, my some nephews and nieces, and they were running around, I thought this is great. Burst cam everything. Burst cam this. Burst (laughs) cam that. But of course, uh, I then looked at the photographs later, and I thought, well, they're they're not perfect. I may have caught at the moment, but I can't really use any of them in any any meaningful way. I certainly can't print any. I can't send them off to relatives. Um, And I went through a phase of using the Windows Phone default camera application, which had a faster shot to shot time. But ultimately, I'm a I'm a I'm a Shutterbug. (laughs) I like good quality. I want as good high quality as possible. Um, even if it means waiting a couple of seconds. So for me, it's Nokia ProCam. But I wanted to set out the pros and cons of each, and hopefully people can look at the article and make their own minds up. Yeah, and if you look
1: at the article, the thing to note here is uh, it was done with the 1020. Now, a lot of those differences would apply to some of the other uh, cameras as well because they 're actually using different algorithms to produce results i mean it 's not really surprising any of these results because they're optimized around different experiences and they 've all got the same amount of kind of processor power and memory to deal with and obviously can kind of optimized to to each one um, but as Steve said there, the general message is use Pro Camera unless you're in a certain situation and then you maybe think about switching over to Smart Camera or or the default camera application. And I think that applies to all the high-end devices. Obviously, you don't have uh, Pro Camera on some of the lower-end Lumia devices. And so then it's kind of a case of between Smart Cam and the standard one. We can have a look, and I was actually quite surprised to see the degree of difference. uh, As Steve said, as always, you you see it when you uh, zoom in a little bit when you zoomed out maybe not such a big difference but it does kind of beg the question here steve that you've got something that almost feels like it should be a separate camera mode and so we've actually seen quite a bit of talk around and some rumors suggesting that a smart camera is going to be integrated into pro camera uh you said on a previous podcast you'd like to see that you know maybe if you hold down the shutter button yeah. it, you know it goes into a burst that to me feels like the the sensible thing to do um and you're going to need to do more of this as a kind of computational photography comes in more and more because you don't really want to be making those decisions ahead of time and while you know i like the idea of being able to switch between lens apps they're often you know very functionally different rather than about you know what you're capturing you know they're maybe about capturing a uh, you know photograph for a a different task so uh, i take it that's something you would like to see
0: i would like to see it but i can see the complications from nokia's end um because you're in a program app, and you're used to four-second shot-to-shot time. You're used to having all the controls uh, to do with exposure and and timing, whatever. Uh, and you're also used to being able to reframe later. and And when you you see later in gallery, open a shot in Nokia Program, you expect to go to Nokia ProCam and do those things. If you were in Nokia ProCam and you shot a burst sequence, I you know a Smart Cam light or whatever. How would that then appear to the gallery? And what, well, surely people would then be disappointed by the quality and by the fact they couldn't do all these wonderful things they used to do. So I, I can see some usability issues. And, and and I'm kind of going back on my initial thought. <laughs> Although it would be a lovely thing to do in terms of interface, I can see it, w- it might cause more confusion than the benefits it might create. And and the lens system, I, you can go into Nokia program, and you're taking a scene and all of a sudden something happens fast and you want to do a smart cam burst. As you say, you can just tap on the lenses. And you're into Nokia Smart Cam. I would like to see things that happen faster. In other words, um, the, I want Smart Cam to launch faster. I want the whole lens thing to work w- within a second or so, rather than taking two or three seconds. I'm and I'm I'm, I'm fed up with uh, splash screens for some of these Nokia apps. You know that you, you launch a Nokia app and you get a second or two of just a Nokia logo and the you know w- w- white graphic and white text on the the black uh, background and okay it's very pretty the first time and then you get so fed up with it and i know it's probably covering the loading time of the application but i think if you cut that out you could probably cut half a second off the loading time and i'd like to be able to go into nokia smart cam within one second of wanting to do it but after tapping that that lens icon
1: yeah it's it's interesting i i agree with you there on the loading times in particular It'll be interesting to see whether the new uh, hardware that we talked about Uh, will make a difference there i suspect loading times of the those apps particularly the third party ones if they're the system apps there's less of a problem but because it's these nokia third party apps it does make a difference i do wonder whether it would make sense in the pro camera application you've got an icon that represents video mode whether you could have an icon below that that somehow represented kind of smart cam mode or burst mode uh, as a way of sort of switching with just a, a single tap of a own and then it, you know it would still label them as being a a smart cam produced photo in the gallery uh, we'll have to wait and see on that i wouldn't be terribly surprised if we see something uh about that at nokia world next week i mean nokia's continually introducing new innovations new updates to its apps and there's plenty of rumors about new devices coming out one of which is talking about uh, a new high-end device with a big screen we've kind of been alluding it through all the podcasts the lumia 1520 name is is well known by now and one of the interesting things about it is it does have this 20 megapixel camera on the back end, at least in the leaked photos we've seen and it's going to be doing kind of you know a, i guess a downsampled version of the 1020 camera yeah. um with that you know using the extra megapixels there i suspect the sensor size is going to be fairly standard you talked earlier when talking about the uh the G2 and the uh, Sony device that that's what other manufacturers have done. It looks like we may see Nokia do something similar, but they may well have a bit of a a unique take on it. So it'll be interesting to see quite what what happens there. Um, You know, in terms of moving away from just a flagship uh, camera device, what would you like to see in terms of cameras on devices, you know, like the 920, you know, the high-end devices, but they're not, you know, camera-centric? What do you think is the best
0: approach to take? Well, I saw recently that Apple, in going from their iPhone 5 to the 5S, they, they, quote, increased the sensor size, and they did a little animation, which didn't really tell you very much. And I don't anyone's actually done the calculations to work out what the new sensor size is. I suspect it's going from a 1 over 3.2-inch sensor to a 1 over 3, or maybe a 1 over 2.8, or something like that. And I, th- I, mean, I think that's not a bad compromise, as long as you don't go crazy with the megapixel count. I mean, an 8-megapixel um, sensor of about that sort of size with today's BSI technology and today's image processing is fine. The the, the killer, and I, I, I hate to go back to my Xenon rant, is the, I, I, let's not use the word Xenon. Let's just use the word proper flash, because now that that's okay, go back to the flat capacitor thing, the moment these companies realize they can use flat capacitors, they'll all put proper flashes in all their top-end smartphone cameras, and they'll all be dramatically better in low light, and, and they'll say, isn't life wonderful? And it's great to have the Lumia 1020 with its huge sensor, 41 megapixels, and, and the dramatic zoom, and the the oversampling, and you can get fabulous results from it, but I think this 1520 uh, with a 20 megapixel, I'm assuming the sensor size will be somewhere in between the, the 1 over 3 inch sensors and the, uh, the Lumia 1020 is 1 over 1.5, so it'll be somewhere in the middle ground, um, 20 megapixels. I think it will produce jolly nice photographs. I don't just wish they'd put the uh, same flat capacitor and zin and the 1020 has and they really would have uh, got the best of all worlds
1: yeah, I, I agree. I, it's interesting. We've seen various approaches with uh, camera I think declaring one right and one wrong is, is not the right approach. And um, I think Steve made a pretty strong case there for Xenon flashes with a, a flat capacitor, or sorry, proper flashes, I should say. <laughs> uh, we've seen HTC with their ultra-pixel technology, which I actually do like what they've done with. I, I think they actually needed to increase the megapixel count a little bit on that one. Um, but equally well, going for this kind of 20 megapixel and then uh, being able to do this over sampling and then some interesting things with zoom i mean obviously it won't be on the scale of the 1020 but it will allow a certain amount of framing to go on so i think that's got uh, a lot of potential we'll have to wait and see on that but i guess that's the thing we should talk about as our last kind of topic is is nokia world it's going to be a bittersweet one in a way because this will probably be the last major event that nokia does as an independent company, uh, I'm making the assumption that the Microsoft uh, acquisition of the devices business go through, but that seems pretty certain now. There'll be a, a shareholders meeting in November to actually kind of get the next day of approval and regulatory stuff. But uh, you've attended many Nokia worlds, uh, Steve. They tend to be a little bigger than the standard Nokia launch event, you know, multiple devices and things like that. Uh, you have fond memories of those past events, uh, I'm sure.
0: Uh, Well, in actual fact, this is a shocking admission, but I've only actually been to one Nokia world and covered all the rest remotely, because you're the one who gets all the jollies, and you're the (laughs) one who gets to fly the world, and you're the one who's going off to Abu Dhabi next week. Um, I'm sure it'll be a wonderful time, and the fact that it'll be the very last Nokia world, at least under that that name ever I think will make it yeah and we'll make it r- rather special for you and of course the location won't help, will help as well yes and we'll be reporting all
1: the details uh, from Nokia World in fact actually it's not going to be quite like Nokia World events of old because it's only over a, a single day and it's really more of a, a launch event um, Nokia World kind of uh, originated in Nokia conferences that actually had several names, at sort of NMC and other things even further back, uh, where there actually it was a two-day event where Nokia did have some press in, but it was mainly about their partners and operators, uh, developers, suppliers, and others, where they sort of talked about the business and where things was going, and it, it, it gradually developed into become more of a, a press and a launch event until what we got today. And uh, what we're expecting to see, well, no one actually knows, but there's been a lot of leaks this time around. It seems uh, each time around more and more stuff gets leaked. For example, we're expecting to possibly see a Nokia tablet running windows 8.1 presumably the rt version we're we're assuming it's an arm processor in there that's the lumia 2520 we already alluded to the 1520 a a phablet or a large screened uh, smartphone device it will be interesting because it will be the first time we see nokia software on top of windows phone update 3 it'll also be the first time we see the snapdragon 800 and 1080p resolution on a windows phone device but there should be at least uh, one other windows phone device i think the smart money is probably on something at the low end possibly kind of a not necessarily a replacement for but in addition to the 520 range uh, nokia traditionally puts a, a device together uh, called a tick and then has a Talk, where it then updates that device and often looks at ways it can reduce the cost of the device in terms of production or components so i wouldn't be surprised to see an update to the 520 there given that it's quite comfortably the best-selling windows phone device we estimated with some recent stats that probably done as many as 10 million of those 520s had been sold there will then be uh, a number of nokia feature phone devices probably around the Development on from the Nokia 501, which was the kind of the, the flagship Asha device that used a UI that owed a lot of uh, history to uh, Migo and some of those devices. There may well be um, another Windows Phone device. There's been talk of some dual SIM things, and also there's been leaks around some uh, Verizon devices and the. Uh, 929 and various other names. Uh, it's never possible to say absolutely what all of those will come. I suspect the US operators, specific ones, wouldn't get announced at Nokia World, but we, uh, I will be there in person, so I'll be able to uh, uh, tell you everything that's going on, and Steve will be abling, assisting. Um, he's always uh, a, a great backup behind the scenes, and we'll try and bring you as much news as possible, but uh, one of the things to look out for, which there haven't been very many leaks on, is accessories, and at Nokia World, it's Nokia tends to surprise a bit with um, some accessories. We've talked about the treasure tag, uh, a low-power Bluetooth thing that allows you to uh, not lose your bag or not lose your phone, depending on which way around you look at it. So expect something there. But there are some uh, hints of a few more accessories to come, so that will be well worth watching out for. And, of course, we'll bring you all the news as soon as we can, and then subsequently reviewing the devices and going into a lot more detail once we get our hands on them and control them out for ourselves. Um, I, I guess Steve, the thing to ask you here. Uh, it's difficult when we don't know what's being announced yet. Is tablet or tablet device? Is that something you're personally? I see, I know you've tried out a couple of these, like the Note Three and some of the other devices. I do find them very big to use as devices. Great having the screen space, but when it actually comes to using them as a phone, sometimes it's a bit too big. But clearly, there's you know they're selling well. There's lots of consumer demand out there, particularly for them in Asia. So it, it makes sense from a strategy point of view, doesn't it, to do a you know a
0: bigger screen device. Uh, absolutely and and let's be honest in in the uk winter which we're just fast approaching now we're all going around with coats and unracks and we've got plenty of pocket space for samsung <laughs> galaxy mega 6.3s and nokia lumia 1520s or whatever Which uh, is just that my, my contention i've made this in another podcast but i'll repeat it briefly here is that what you do when the spring and summer comes and you're going around in sh- shorts and t-shirts and your phone is a seven inch screened monster and you look rather stupid so um there, There is a sweet spot, and we've said it many times, it's four and a half, four inches, five inches, maybe with small bezels, that is so your hand can wrap around it and you can fit it in a normal size pocket. I think that's going to be the way the sweet spot is, but I can't deny the fact that, uh, yeah, in certain parts of the world and in certain climates and in certain dress types, then... A large device makes a lot of sense if you can carry it. Yeah, yeah. well, I think it's. you said it there,
1: it's the sweet spot, which is the most common device sizes, I think, going to be somewhere in that four to five inch range. But uh, some people will be an outlier one side, they'll end up with a, a Lumia 620 or something smaller screen like that. And equally, they'll be out the other side with the larger screen device. What's really going to be the interesting thing for me is to see how Windows Phone works on that large screen device. We talked a bit about that at the top of the show. And whether there's any sort of customizations, you know, the Note 3 range from Samsung is, I think, well known for having S Pen and some of the customizations there. How much of that's a gimmick versus being used for is an, an interesting one. A lot of the kind of market research says the benefit for having the, the, the phone at that side is not really about the pen and it's just about being a bigger smartphone and some people like that. For having the, the the text and other things on the screen are just bigger, and if you're carrying around a you know a handbag or a man bag for that matter, I I can certainly see the point in having a a bigger device, especially given that the idea of holding a phone up to your head to you know call someone and talk seems to be going away a little bit uh, because obviously that's the thing that's most inconvenient for me about some of these bigger screen devices. It's not quite um, as bad as the Engage year with side talking, but it doesn't feel all that far away when you're holding up a what's almost a tablet, and uh, it's all part of this decision, I guess, around whether you carry a, a tablet and a phone, or whether you want something in one device, and a lot more there. But um, we'll be able to talk a bit more about that when we've actually tried the devices out uh, for ourselves. So I think that would probably be a good place to end the podcast unless there's any Apple game you've been playing in the last week, Steve, that you'd like to recommend to
0: the listeners? No, I I think we've talked for far too long. Normally when we go on way beyond the allotted half an hour, which we've been very guilty of today. Normally, it's uh, you have been accused of doing the bulk of the talking, but I think I can be accused of rambling just as much in this particular podcast. I think anyone who wasn't particularly interested in the cameras and smartphones probably turned off half an hour ago. If you have made it this far, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with the Insight podcast with a more usual format, I suspect, and we'll try again to keep it rather close to half now. Also with you and Spence, hopefully back on board. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me and half out after all those new devices. Well, we'll
1: see. But yes, see you next Uh time. Bye.